Good morning. Thankful to be here with you this morning and thankful to um, sing songs about the goodness of our God, the greatness of our Lord, the, to know and for it to be affirmed that um, the earth is full of his steadfast love. The, the creation reveals the love and the care um, but also because the light of the world came into the world, the earth is, is full of, of the presence and the, the active working of the God um, of the universe. And so we can be thankful and grateful for that as we move forward. Um, if this is your first time here, I'm Bryce. I'm the teaching pastor uh, here. I do a lot of the preaching. So if you don't like what you see today, um, you can go ahead and Figure, you know, make your decision first day. So, um, but uh, I'm so thankful to be here. And uh, if you have missed the last week or so, or don't know what we're, what subject we're discussing, uh, we are started last week in Romans one eighteen through twenty three, discussing the wrath of God, the wrath of God. And funny enough, this is the this is a tweet I woke up to this morning. Okay. Yesterday, I had a conversation with a Christian who believes in a literal hell, lake of fire, and gnashing of teeth. I told her that if God torments people for eternity, I'd have to walk away from a God like that and asked her what sort of good parent torments their own children. Okay, so there's a few problems with that. Uh, If we have a way to die, if we could just sit here and talk about that, we could probably dissect it all apart. But one, one thing is, and you need to know this if you hadn't seen this from my teach, the teaching that I do here, is that not everybody in creation is a child of God, number one. So not everybody in creation is a child of God. They are created by God, but not everyone is a child of God. But there's two questions that shut down that argument in my estimation. Number one, where is Hitler? Where is Hitler? And if the person is really progressive... Like they're really liberal, you can say, "Where does Donald Trump go when he dies?" Okay, okay. So if if you wanna if you wanna shut down the argument, you ask, "Where's Hitler?" And then their Hitler, their current Hitler, Donald Trump, you ask where he goes when he dies, uh, where he goes when he dies. But the other question is, why Jesus? Why would Jesus come? Why do we need Jesus? If there is no wrath. If there is no punishment for sin, then why do we need Jesus? And why was this person who was talking about hell in this tweet, why would it be a big deal for her to walk away? If there is no Jesus, I mean, if there is no wrath, if it's only the love of God, if it's only grace, walk away. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Just go. I would propose to you today that wrath, that God's wrath in particular, is real, it's prevalent, it must be discussed, because Paul today, Paul in our verses today, talks about the problem with avoiding or suppressing the wrath of God. This week I want to enter our, I want to go back into our second sermon 
of Romans 1, 18, 18 through 23. And we, we started our sermon last week by discussing the wrath of God. And I hope that I was able to help you kind of clearly under, under, excuse me, understand what the wrath of God is, where it comes from, why, why we know that there is wrath, what, what it looks like. The wrath of God is not some childish or flailing anger. It's not what your kids do when you get onto them. They throw themselves on the ground. You know, it's not um, reactive you know, it's not like God, oh, God is surprised by sin, and all of a sudden he's like, oh, that makes me so angry. What shall I do? You know, it's not, it's not like that. Remember, the wrath of God is uh, God's anger against a people who have deviated from his holiness. Remember what John Murray said? It is the holy revulsion of God's being against that which is the contradiction of his holiness. The word for wrath or anger... Uh, we found out in the New Testament is orge, or it is, it's literally the building up of righteous indignation. Last week we discussed what the wrath of God is and how God is justified in his wrath. This week I would like to look at um, how we know how the wrath of God shows itself and reasons that mankind deserves the wrath of God. Let's read our verses today. If you haven't already, turn to Romans. Romans chapter 1. And I'm, I'm going to be reading from the uh, eternally satisfying version today. And, um, and you don't have to read from that, but you probably won't be as eternally satisfied as I am reading from it. Romans chapter 1, verses... 18 through 23, and we'll read, this, we'll read this all again this week and next week just so we can get the full effect. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Would you pray with me this morning? Lord, that we would never exchange your glory for a substitute. That we would never pursue after an idol when we have the real thing living and breathing and moving in us. That, Lord, there would not be a pantheon of idols in our lives, but there would be one God on his throne living and reigning. And when, he is, when we ever do anything to subvert that, Lord, would you please move us to repent and trust the gospel. Lord, thank you for saving us from your wrath. Would you help it never to be lost on us, the depravity of our soul, and the depth of the love of God to save us. Lord, we praise you. We 
ask that you bless this morning and that you speak through your word. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. I want to discuss two topics today, and we will likely only finish one part of the second one. Last week I didn't have any points. This week I have a few points, but there's also like 30 points that I didn't put in the outline. So you can just choose what to take notes on and, and, um, and what you won't do. But these two topics will help, that we're going to discuss today will help us discuss the wrath of God further. I want us to discuss how the wrath of God is seen in the world today. That's topic number one, how the wrath of God is seen in the world today and why we deserve the wrath of God. That's number two. Let's look at how the wrath of God is revealed and specifically what Paul is referring to in this text. Now there are many views of how the wrath of God is being poured out in the world today. We could debate for hours on who experienced the wrath of God or how far the wrath of, to what depth the wrath of, wrath of God goes or even if it changes and, and is different over time. But there is no debate that the wrath of God has been revealed to the world. So some, what are some of the ways that the wrath of God has been revealed? Now these are some of the points that will not be on the screen. You can write these down how, if you want to or not. Um, so here's just a few of the way... That the, the ways that the wrath of God has been revealed. Number one is actual punishment for sin, or actual punishment of sin. The wrath of God has revealed in the way that he punishes sin. This is relatively self-explanatory, but the fact that sin does not go unpunished or completely unchecked proves that the wrath of God is revealed in this way. It is God's wrath on the sinner that punishes sin. Now we need to understand something clearly. Every sin ever committed will not receive immediate wrath, right? You understand that. Just because a sin is committed on earth doesn't mean that wrath will immediately be um, given out, right? Sometimes sin goes on for years and years and years, but everyone will be met with the same end, and that is the judgment of God. Everyone, Christians and non-Christians, will be judged by God at the end. So every sin is not immediately met with wrath. Some will never be punished on this earth. Some people will be punished by their sin continually for the rest of their life in some way, shape, or form. But all people will be judged in one way or another eternally. There are other forms of the revelation of God's wrath. The universal nature of death is one way that God's wrath is shown in the earth. Everyone dies. Now, for a Christian, we've talked about it in the past, for a Christian who loves God, who follows God, who belongs to Jesus Christ, death is a means of grace. But for someone who does not follow God, who does not know Jesus as Lord, death is a means of wrath. Hear me out on these next few because I want, I'm not going to explain them very thoroughly. You can talk about them uh, in your missional community gatherings if you want to. But these are all, I'm just trying to make a list here for you to have. Disease and illness is a form of God's wrath. Here's why. On a very basic level, disease and illness is a form of God's wrath because disease and illness entered into the world because of the sin of Adam. Because of sin coming into the world, disease and illness entered the world. So in a way, in a very basic way, disease and illness is a part of God's wrath. But there are more developed ways that we see that too. History, history is proof that God's wrath has entered into the world. Things like the Holocaust 
wars, famine, natural disasters even are proof. Is, these are all proofs that God's wrath is entered the world. Also, the cross and the resurrection. The cross and the resurrection. The fact that God sent His Son to the earth, to the people, to be a way and a means of salvation... And the fact that those same people nailed him to the cross is proof that the wrath of God is on the earth. But also this, there has never, there was never been a time from, from creation to Jesus that wrath and grace were so objectively and so literally displayed for all to see than through the resurrection. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, what we find out is that he who has life in Christ has that same resurrection. But he who does not have life in Christ has the wrath of God. So the resurrection of Jesus Christ clearly made a point of delineation between those who belong to God and those who don't. Those who are under grace and those who are under wrath. The rejection of God's Son was the culmination of the wrath of God. Paul Paul explains why. Here, he says, because they gave their mind up. They suppressed the truth. Even the people who nailed Jesus to the cross suppressed the truth that this was the Son of God. The resurrection ultimately, and the resurrection ultimately separates the wheat from the chaff. As we discussed last week, God revealed, God has revealed, He has revealed with certainty, He has revealed in salvation, and He is revealed in wrath. We can experience wrath on this earth, but not everything is directly results, uh, result of God's wrath. There are natural disasters that are a result, meaning the fall of mankind caused things to happen. But like, if anybody ever tries to tell you that like Katrina was because New Orleans is such a bad place, like they're stupid, okay? Don't listen to them. They're an idiot. They don't know what they're talking about. And I, I know that those are bad words for me to say in front of your kids, but that's, I could say worse. Okay? Natural disasters are a result of God's wrath. But it's not necessarily a result of God's wrath on that geographical location. Right? If that were the case, then every place on earth would constantly be filled with natural disasters. Because we are all deserving. We are all depraved in some level or another, and we all are deserving of the wrath of God. Certain illness is not a result of direct wrath, right? Sometimes people get sick, and it's not, you know, uh, in the Bible, they, uh, there were multiple instances where they said, who sinned to make this person this way? It's not necessarily a result of God's wrath because someone gets ill. It is in the sense that creation has fallen, the wrath of God is on the world, there's sickness and illness. But not necessarily just because someone has... Uh, sinned, are they ill? So there are a few distinctions you need to keep in mind as we talk about uh, the wrath of God and punishment. <clears throat> there is post-fall punishment. Post-fall punishment. These are things that I just came up with. Uh, they might not sound very um, educated or scholarly, and you know you might even find a flaw in them. So if you do, I'm sorry. Uh, post-fall punishment. This is the wrath that everyone experiences because of the fall of mankind. I didn't come up with the idea. I came up with the, these little titles. The ra- this is the wrath that everyone experiences because of the fall of mankind. These are things like eternal damnation, sickness, death, 
murder, and in a very general sense, like I mentioned before, natural disasters, war, and traumatic events. This is post-fall punishment. All those things fall under post-fall punishment. There is direct punishment. This is the wrath of God that comes directly to you because of sin. Listen, cancer because of smoking, emphysema because of smoking, heart failure and obesity from bad eating habits. These are things where that directly come to you because of sin. There are more. Those are just some of the more blatantly obvious. Those are sort of caricatures of, of, of sin nature. Direct punishment. There's also indirect punishment. Cancer and heart issues and diabetes can also be the indirect wrath of God. They can come from things like secondhand smoking. And you might think that I'm a conspiracy theorist here, but I'm not. If you've ever done any research into food, um, they can also come from additives in our food that we have nothing to do with. We don't know anything about. We don't know how it's produced. And so cancer and diabetes and, and other issues can come from additives in our food. This is sort of an indirect wrath of people trying to, uh, you know, I'm not anti-capitalist here, but a capitalist system trying to make a dollar at any cost. So there is indirect punishment. Addiction is an indirect punishment, an indirect wrath, right? If someone in your family is addicted, you feel sort of that wrath. You can feel the wrath of that, right? There's an indirect punishment. Disease can be indirect. Sexually transmitted diseases, other diseases can be an indirect. Poverty is an indirect, can be an indirect punishment of the wrath of God because of choices people make. And you may not have made those choices, but you can, you know, this is sort of a second and third generation type thing. A bad home life, whatever it may be. These are indirect punishments of the behavior of others that affect more than just the person doing the act. But all of these, post-fall wrath, direct wrath, and indirect wrath, these are all, they fall under the revelation of God's wrath and punishing sin. There is one more revelation of God's wrath that I would like to discuss with you. And I'm with commentator Philip Ryken when he suggests this is the wrath that Paul is mentioning in our text today. I think the wrath that Paul is mentioning in Romans 1 and expounds on in the next few chapters is the inherent inherent tendency of moral evil to produce misery. The inherent tendency of moral evil to produce misery. More simply put, there is a downward trajectory, generally speaking, of the human race. We actually see this in Romans 1.24. They rejected God, and then what did God do? Romans 1.24, if you've read ahead, He gave them over to a reprobate mind. He abandoned them and let their sins take over. And therefore there is a, an inherent tendency of moral evil that produces misery. And this is a part of the wrath of God. The degeneration because of moral evil is what the prophet Isaiah said would lead people to call good evil and evil good. If this doesn't personify our society, I don't know what does. Natural love relationships are considered evil. There are articles from people calling themselves journalists who suggest that straight people are automatically transphobic and homophobic because they refuse to have homosexual sex. We call abortion health care 
But it goes more than that. We call immoral business practices ingenuity and salesmanship. We call immoral heterosexual sex being overcome with love. We call divorce pursuing happiness and adultery fulfilling unmet needs. But not only that, church, we call romantic love songs worship music. We call self-help sermons preaching and, and, and self-centered one-way communication prayer. There is a moral degeneration that happens from a rejection of God. And that even, friends, is the wrath of God on the people of the earth. The, 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 excuse me, the degeneration of the little good that is found in the world. The degeneration of society because of the abandonment, because God, they abandon God and therefore God abandons them and it's one of the surest signs of the wrath of God on the world. Now I think we've explained the wrath of God enough over the past few weeks, um, the wrath itself, but I do want to look at one of three things today. I want to look at one of three things today why, of why we deserve the wrath of God. Why we deserve the wrath of God. I'm going to spend my, the rest of the time talking about just this. We deserve the wrath of God because we have rejected the revelation of God. We deserve the wrath of God because human kind has rejected the revelation of God. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has, what? Shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, in the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. I truly believe this, and I hope this thought will help you, but there is no such thing as, a, as an atheist, a real atheist. Now, I'm not going to try to convince you that people don't consider themselves atheists, but I want you to know that there is no such thing as an actual atheist. And here's how I know. When you, con- when you conscientiously deny that there is a God, what you are actually doing is necessitating a feeling to deny that God, which is actually admitting that there must be a God. Did that, did that make your head spin a little bit? Make your head spin a little bit? If you're denying that there is a God, it is necessitated by a feeling to suppress that God, and therefore you are actually admitting that there is a God. The longing to prove that there is no God is proof that there is a God. There are people that Paul is, uh, these are the people that Paul is talking about in in the passage today. For what can be seen about God is plain. But in verse 21, Paul says, they suppress the truth. Here's the deal, friends. There are a lot of proofs in my life that Christ is real. He is who he says he is. I see those from the Bible. The Bible says that the church is, that other Christians are. The Bible says that the Bible is. The Bible says that, the, that uh, sanctification is. A lot of proofs. You know what one proof in my life that God is real and that Jesus is who he says he is? The vitriol from the world. The hatred from the world. 
The fact that whereas it is acceptable to leave every other religion alone, Christianity is the only religion that can't be left alone. And here's why. Because God is so real that people feel a necessity to not only just leave it alone, but to stamp him out, to push him down, to push him away. And so there is, it has to be done, it can't just be done with any sort of relaxing feeling. It has to be done with a fervor and, and what seems like and is a hatred. Because you can't just ignore God. What you have to do is you have to suppress Him. You have to push Him down and away. And this is why in the, even Christians who have proven themselves to be godly and worthy of respect will not get respect from people in the vast majority of the world because it is the world's prerogative to stamp out any mark of Jesus. Because the truth is, what can be seen about God is plain. It's right in front of our face. It's easy to see and recognize. Why? Because it's just out there? No. Because He told us. Because He revealed it to us. So what a so-called atheist does is he is met with God's wrath and he pushes it down. He ignores it. He denies it altogether. So I would assert to you that based on our pastor today, that God can be clearly seen in the world, that he can be known, and that they, there are actually only two responses to this revelation of God, to God revealing himself, to God showing himself. There are two responses. This is it. In the entire world, there are two responses. A person can see himself as unworthy of God and worthy of his wrath and trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Or a person can see the wrath of God and abandon the truth, do their best to suppress it, and live out their days with the wrath of God looming. But the truth is, friends, God has been revealed to the world. And the world, all of the world, knows that there is a God. I don't want to talk about this too extensively. If you want to talk about this further in missional community groups, you need to know this. Friends, the person in the bush that doesn't know Jesus, that has not surrendered his life to the gospel, will die and go to hell. There is no other way about it. They are under the wrath of God. I know that that doesn't seem fair, but according to what Paul says... And according to what Jesus has said, God has been clearly seen through Jesus, through His divine power, through His creation. And here's the truth. This is one of the reasons that I, and, and I don't know if this terminology makes you fear or scared or whatever, this is one of the reasons I'm a Calvinist. This is one of the reasons I'm Reformed. Because I believe that the person in the bush without, without the hint of the gospel can also become a Christian through the power of the Holy Spirit. Helen Keller was blind and deaf. And she was hope, without hope of ever having a normal life. But there was a teacher 
and I should have written her name down on my outline, and something. Sullivan. Sullivan, there it is. But I, I couldn't see y'all. Anybody want to say this illustration for me? Uh, Ann Sullivan. Okay, I should have written that down on my, uh, uh, my outline, sorry. Ann Sullivan spent countless hours working with Helen Keller to learn how to, learn how to communicate. And Helen Keller ended up being wildly successful as the world deems success. But also Ann Sullivan told Helen Keller about Jesus. And, and it's been told, now this might be a pastor story, hopefully it's true. It's been told that when Ann Sullivan finally communicated Jesus to Helen Keller, Helen said, I knew him, I just didn't know his name. I knew him, I just didn't know his name. God has been revealed so plainly and so clearly to the world. So easy to see that we must suppress it in order to not follow it. So how has God revealed himself? The first way he has revealed himself is through creation. This is another one of those points that wasn't up there, but if you want it, you can have it. Through creation. The Bible says that God has been clearly seen through nature since the beginning. This is through a general revelation or knowledge of God. At a minimum, people can look at creation and see that there is a higher power that exists. This is why I tell you all the time that science doesn't go a long way in disproving God. Science goes a long way in proving God. Because the more technology and the more science we have, guess what? The more vast and complex we see that everything that is created actually is. The further the, the galaxies are... The further that creation gets, the more complex the human body actually is, or we see that it actually is. Science doesn't disprove God. If anything, science proves that there needs to be a creator to make something as intricate and as wonderful and as beautiful as this. It takes more faith to believe that a single cell organism decided one day to majestically multiply than it does to take to, to believe that a creator intricately and lovingly, caringly designed everything that we know and see and then created it. takes more faith to believe in the in the really the disproven and you you can bet you can bet your last dollar on this that the the theory of evolution will fade is is fading even in the sciences even in the sciences it's fading in astrology it's fading or or, you know um Astronomy. astronomy that's it not astrology thank you appreciate it i've always got a little teammate up here Drew's the bondo this morning. Uh, in astronomy, it's fading. Through creation, we are aware that God exists. Just the idea of the planets being aligned, the galaxies in order, Earth on its axis, and if some small detail were to change, all of it would fall apart. Just a small shift. Tell me now. Knowing what we know about the sciences, knowing what we know about the human body, how it recovers from an injury, the vascular system, knowing what we know, tell me that there is no creator. Try to prove it. Try to make me believe it. But there are also more levels. Not only through creation. God didn't just leave us with creation and say, figure it out. 
But God spoke to the world. He spoke to the world specifically by, through holy men who were taught by the Holy Spirit. So another revelation of God is through His words. Through His words. Not only are we aware of God through creation, but men throughout history have been recording His wondrous deeds. We, we have the Word of God. We don't have to be left alone. Men have been recording all of the deeds of God. This is the main reason Paul looked at the deeds of God and said, His invisible attributes are clearly known. You know how Paul knew about His invisible attributes? Because he had read the Psalms. Because he had already opened the Bible and seen that God's invisible attributes had been confirmed. Even before Paul was a Christian, he knew that the invisible attributes of God had been confirmed and seen. His eternal power, His divine nature... Paul knew that the invisible attributes of God were true because David had written about it several hundred years before Paul even existed. We can know all about God because men have been recording about God since they knew how to write. But not only that, they've been recording the very words of God. So God opens himself up to all who would hear. I want to say this, and this is my little soapbox, and since I'm the pastor and I preach most of the sermons, you have to suck it up and listen to it. But before we, and I am guilty of this too, I'm not, this is not a you do this kind of thing, but before we became so numb to technology, before we became so numb to technology, there were people, believe it or not, who would sit outside just to enjoy creation. I know this is crazy. Is it wild to hear? There were people who would sit outside just to enjoy the sky or the breeze or the trees or animals. It's the wildest thing you're going to hear today, I know. Before we had an air condition, this is my, this is my guilty pleasure. Before we had an air condition that kept us inside, there was a natural air condition that God gave that caused people who did not have internal air conditioning, that wanted to go outside and feel the grace of God through the breeze in the air. Poets have written majestic words about it. Saw, uh, songwriters have written songs that we can still think of today. Artists have drawn pictures that jump out at you. Because creation has testified, and the Word of God confirms it. Paul, sort of, in trying to develop this revelation of God further in Acts 17, he was in Athens, and he said to the men of Athens, he, he saw the idol to the unknown God, and he said, men of Athens, I see you're very religious. You've got all of these gods, and you even have this last God covered this unknown God to cover all of your bases and Paul said guess what I know his name I know his name and his name is Jesus Christ and he can be known he can be known so as God has demonstrated himself through creation and he has demonstrated himself himself through his words he has also demonstrated himself to you and to me through his personal revelation. And that is the Son of God. Jesus is God. 
He has demonstrated himself through the creator. That's the third if you're really strict about keeping an outline. Through the creator. Jesus is God. Jesus is creator. He is the image of the invisible God as Philippians says. He is the glory of God as John says. And John in the other gospel says that we have he is one with the Father. That he and the Father are one. Through creation, we have an awareness of God. Through His words, we can know about God. But through His Son, we can know God Himself. We can make this feeling inside our soul go away. This knowledge that there is no God or that there is a God, we can suppress it. Or we can take this feeling inside our soul, this knowledge that there is a God, and we can say, I know Him. And through the Spirit of God, we can be sure of the name of the one true God. The God who was the plan from the beginning, from creation to redeem the world, and at the right time came to this earth. He lived a perfect life, and He gave His life up as a living sacrifice. And because He was perfect in every way, He was holy and acceptable unto God. On the cross at Calvary, He not only bore the sin of mankind, but He bore the wrath that belonged to you and to me. And that's why the cross is meaningful. Not just because Jesus was a martyr. Jesus was not a martyr. He was a sacrifice. Do you understand the difference? Not because Jesus was a martyr, but because he was a sacrifice for the sins of mankind, that the wrath of God might be satisfied, and that if you and I believe and trust the gospel, we can spend eternity under the care and love of God himself. Through the Spirit of God, we can know him by name. And more importantly, friends, He can know us by name. And if that wasn't enough, friends, if if creation, if the Word of God, if God Himself isn't enough, we have each other to prove it also. When I see you and I see redemption and I see grace and I see growth, and I see love for your fellow man and love for each other. I see selflessness and sacrifice, and I know that the source and the root of all that is Jesus. I say, no one does this long term unless they are motivated by a power such as God's. No one does this long term unless they are motivated by a power such as God's. I look at this church and I think, God exists. I look at the growth. I look at your growth. I look at your spiritual growth. I look at your kindness. And I think Jesus is Lord. Church, that we would be the front runner in kindness. That we would present the gospel to a heart that is searching. And fill a hole that only the gospel of Jesus Christ can fill. When we function like we should, we go a long way to proving the small number We go a long way to proving the small number of atheists wrong. We begin to point the agnostic to the one God. The agnostic is the one who says, I know that there's a God. We begin to point him to Jesus. And we point the searching heart to trust in Jesus. 
How will you respond to the God of the universe today, friends? Will you respond in reverence and in awe and in worship? Or will you deny him practically? I mean, even if it's only practically by our actions or maybe even outright. There are two responses to the revelation of God. One is to understand that there is wrath. Understand that God has made a way through Jesus to repent, believe, and follow him. Or to stay under the wrath of God and to try to suppress it, to try to push it away, to try to numb your senses as much as you can. Be on your phone enough, put drugs in your body enough, fill it with relationships enough. Do whatever you can to suppress that God exists, that he's real, and that the wrath of God is looming. You can dismiss it all you want, friends. You can throw it, you can cast it aside. You can say, that's not the type of God I want to serve. But if that's not the type of God that he is, he is not God. And that's plain and simple. Pray with me. Lord, you are good and you are holy and we trust you. You have revealed yourself through creation that we are without excuse. You have revealed yourself through your word that we are without excuse. You have revealed yourself through Jesus that we are without excuse. Lord, help us as a church to reveal you through our lives. God, we understand that the the wrath of God exists, Lord, but help us to escape the wrath of God through the blood of Jesus, through following him, through trusting him, through knowing and receiving his righteousness. Lord, we love you. We pray and ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen.